Hey, this is Sandra. This is Jess. And this is Emily. And you are listening to Town Meeting, a Gilmore Girls Rewatch podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, welcome back to part two of They Shoot Gilmore's, don't they? We are starting off with all of our segments on this episode, and who has a summary this week? I do. It's Jess. Yay! <laughs> Get okay. the timer up. All right, count me in. Okay, three, two, one, go. It's the dance marathon episode, and Lorelai can't find a partner until Stanley, who she does not want to sleep with. The 75th anniversary of the Franklin is coming up, but Jamie can't stop thinking about Paris and plans get postponed. Lane won't stop calling Dave, but won't actually speak to him. Lorelai ropes Rory into being her dance partner and the dancing begins. Jackson wants four and four. Suki does not. Dean, Jess, and Shane arrive and bring the drama with them. The Kims are serving eggless egg salad and Dave is a big fan and a master of improv. Lorelai's heel breaks. Luke comes to the rescue. Dean reaches his breaking point. Shane remains clueless. And Rory and Dean are officially broken up. How much of that did I get in the timer? Uh, timer went off in my ears at the, uh, like, egg. right after the eggless yeah. egg salad. Okay, so only two major sentences. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only the biggest thing of this episode. Yeah. Didn't make it. That's okay. Is that our first fail of season three? I think it is. Yes. I'll start warming up the old pipes. Get ready to sing y'all a song. <laughs> I still want an ep- I still want a recording of eggs. <laughs> there is um a lot that happened in this episode. There is. There is. For it being so focused on one main event, a lot happens at that event. Yeah, a lot of townies, the breakup, the new mm-hmm. relationships. To me like this is the breakup episode. Like, I know we have an episode in, I think, season one that's literally called The Breakup, or season two. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is the true breakup episode, and everything else is just coincidental. Mm-hmm. It's just there. <laughs> you know what's sad? This is not even the last breakup episode between the two of them. Mm-hmm. God, no, it's not. Well, I may have failed our summary, but I know Sandra <laughs> will not fail her reference segment. Weekly references with Sandra.
Alright, so for this week's references, I want to focus on the episode itself, more specifically on the title and the director. So first, the title. As we said before, the title of the episode is They Shoot Gilmores, Don't They? Which is a reference to a 1969 psychological drama directed by Sidney Pollock named They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Very similar titles, but that isn't where the similarities end. This is based on Horace's McCoy's novel of the same name, and the movie focuses on a group of individuals desperate to win a Depression-era dance marathon. Oh. They don't shoot a horse, do they? Um, well... Okay, well, in the movie, uh, Robert Silverton recalls the events leading up to an unstated crime, and he flashes back to his youth, where he saw a horse break its leg and was shot out of his misery. So, unfortunately, there was a horse that was shot. Sad. Sorry. Years later, uh, he wanders into the dance marathon and is placed as a substitute partner for Gloria Beattie after her original partner is disqualified due to bronchitis. Much like the show, there's drama between the contestants, as well as a race around the dance floor, in which the last three couples would be eliminated, and instead of a heel-breaking, it's a stocking-ripping. Although, unlike the show, the marathon takes place over several weeks, and one contestant actually has a heart attack and dies. Oh, they're dancing for several weeks? Several weeks. Like... 12 hours a day for something Uh like that? At the end, there are, it's 1,400 hours, and there's only a few couples left. Oh my gosh. And by the way, the guy that dies, it's not like, oh my god, a guy died. It's, oh, he's unlimited, because he died. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Death is only the the beginning. Well, it's like (laughs) Taylor saying... If you experience stroke-like symptoms, move to the edge of the dance floor so that your body does exactly. not... <laughs> Maybe that's what it's referencing. Gosh. It could be. Um, I do want to mention for this next part, uh, there is a trigger warning as we will be talking about suicide and murder. So if you need to skip ahead, please do so. But going back to the movie, throughout the marathon, Gloria is displeased. And later on, we find out that the prize money is actually fraud. Oh, no. And the winner doesn't actually get anything. And when her silk stocking rips, she has a nervous breakdown and confesses to Robert that she feels so empty in life. She actually kind of wants to die. So she asks him to kill her. And he does. What is this movie? (laughs) And when the police ask him why, he says, well, they shoot horses, don't they? Oh, my gosh. He was putting her out of her misery. That's awful. So the title, They Shoot Horses, Don't They, has become a saying, exactly what you said, Jess, putting someone out of their misery, which is, I guess you can argue Dean put Rory out of her misery by finally breaking up with her. Can we go back to talking about the yearling? (laughs) 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 So yeah, Cherry. But that is what they're referencing. I do agree. taking Rory out of her misery. Yeah, I do agree with the Dean, I guess, shooting Rory out of her misery by breaking (laughs) up with her. I agree with the correlation there. Up next is the director. So obviously I like to focus on guest stars, but before this week I thought it would be cool to focus on the director, which is Kenny Ortega. Now, depending on your age, you may know (laughs) Kenny Ortega for different projects. For the younger crowd, 
You may know him as the director of such decoms as The Descendants and High School Musical 1, 2, and 3. I have seen The Descendants um, Also Descendants movies. 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> the Descendants was I pretty good. It. I think I was a little too old at that point when they came out so, so I? <laughs> I i'm older than both of you and i absolutely was but we went but you on have a, a kid no no she hasn't watched it either no okay. um we went on a family vacation and my niece was like the ursula's daughter character or whatever and it they were watching it in the living room and so like i was watching the kids so i sat down and like watched half of the movie from like 30 minutes into the end or whatever. And then I was like, well, I guess I got to go on to Disney Plus and watch all of them now. So I did by myself. And of course, <laughs> High School Musical was a staple in my life. So that one I did watch. Yeah. I didn't watch that one. Reverse. Okay, we have to sit down and watch that movie. <laughs> no, classic no. after classic after classic. I was in a stage production of High School Musical. So was I. So was I. <laughs> but for the older crowd... You may know him as the director of Hocus Pocus <gasps> and Dirty Dancing. Oh my oh. gosh. Kenny Ortega is a genius. He did such films as St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and once again, he was a choreographer for Dirty Dancing. So if you don't know Dirty Dancing, first off, what rock are you living under? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Go watch it. But secondly, Dirty Dancing, of course, stars Kelly Bishop, Miss yep. Emily Gilmer herself, mm -hmm. as Baby's mother, Marjorie Houseman. So there is a slight connection between the two projects, but there's another connection between Kenny and the Gilmer girls, and that's Liz Torres, aka Miss Patty. Oh. Kenny and Liz were in a dance class together in their youth, and apparently all the girls in the class were in love with him, so she remembers him clearly. <laughs> He's probably an attractive individual. So They Shoot Gilmore's Don't Day was the first episode Kenny directed on Gilmore Girls, but it wasn't the last episode. He's also directed other fan favorites, such as Friday Night's All Right for Fighting, the fight episode that lasts the entire episode. I'm not gonna lie, I do love that episode too. Yeah. <laughs> a Deep Fried Korean Thanksgiving, which is one of my favorite a episodes. Classic. A fun fall episode. Written in the Stars, which is the one where Logan is introduced. Ooh. Ooh. And you jump, I jump, Jack, which is, I want to say, the most famous episode of the series. Okay, I think he's directed, like, all of my favorite episodes. So yeah. maybe Kenny is the reason why we like them. <laughs> yeah. He also directed that one episode that I cannot pronounce, Let the Bala... Let the Balalaika sing, right? Uh, ring out, yes. Ba Balalaikas. Balalaikas? That was a Jess episode, I believe. Okay. Yes, and that that is the it. why did you drop out of Yale episode. Yes. Oh my gosh, Kenny Ortega yes. with the hits. So yeah, a lot of these episodes, I mean, are some of my favorite of the series. You jumped, I jumped Jack is iconic. Oh, yeah. And apparently I have Kenny or Ortega to thank for them. So thank you, Kenny. <laughs> Can we get him on the show? Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh my God. gosh. I wish. I would die. <laughs> But those were my references this week. And after references, we have a book or a couple a things. Song. Hmm. With Emily. Books, movies, and music. With Emily. With Emily. Uh, so. 
So we're actually going to break it up a little bit this week. I'm going to try to do two things quickly instead of in-depth on either thing. So the first one is at the end of the episode when Shane is passed out on the bleachers and Jess is reading, he is reading a book called The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. It was first published in Germany in 1924, and it is widely considered to be one of the most influential works of the 20th century in German literature. Thomas Mann started writing it in 1912, and World War I interrupted his work on the book. Interrupted a lot of things. Yes, it did. So it was supposed to be a short narrative that comically revisited the aspects of Death in Venice, a novella that he was preparing for publication. The newer work reflected his experiences and impressions during a period when his wife, who was suffering from a lung complaint, resided at a sanatorium in Davos, Switzerland for several months. The outbreak of World War One happened and from what i understand had like a massive shift in his beliefs in the book he ends up exploring sources of the destructiveness displayed by civilized humanity cough cough um he is also drawn to speculate about more general questions related to personal attitudes of life health illness sexuality and mortality His political stance changes from opposing the Weimar Republic to supporting it, and given this, he felt compelled to radically revise and expand the pre-war text before finally completing it in 1924. It was published in two volumes by S. Fischer Verlag in Berlin. So it's, it's, it's a hefty thing. Yeah. It sounds hefty. I don't know how... Jess is staying awake reading this at 5 a.m. But out of curiosity, I went to the Amazon reviews really quick. And I got to say, the very first one is absolutely fantastic. It starts off with, in parentheses, not posted on Amazon. So I don't know where it's originally posted. Because <laughs> it also doesn't say. But the very first sentence is, this is man's great masterpiece. And again, his name is Thomas Mann. So it's not man in general, but this person's great masterpiece capping a literary career that won him the Nobel Prize in 1929. And that was in a time when the Nobel Prize really meant something and had not yet descended into being a bobble of political correctness and uninspired multiculturalism. This was from 2015, was when this was written. Yikes. Um, I don't know, maybe Jess wrote this interview. <laughs> or this this review. It feels a little pretentious. Um, I mean, Jess is kind of a pretentious kid. We're kind of seeing that, right? aren't we? The fact that he's reading this at all is kind of pretentious. Like a dance marathon? Yeah. Right? Anyway, that was The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. Came out in 1924 in Germany and then was translated to English in 1927. After that, we have not necessarily a song, but a whole genre. So at the dance marathon, we have big band music playing. So it is a type of musical ensemble of jazz that usually consists of 10 or more musicians with four sections, saxophones, trumpets, trombones, and a rhythm section. We do see a clarinet in there as well, getting a solo, but big band started as an accompaniment for dancing. And in contrast to the typical jazz emphasis on improvisation, 
big bands relied on written compositions and arrangements. It gave a great greater role to the band leaders, arrangers, and sections of instruments rather than soloists. So I do know in like the 50s, we have all these massive singers, Frank Sinatra, um, Andy Williams. <laughs> but a lot of, if you've watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel actually, uh, Mrs. Maisel tours with a big band. Mm. It has one singer who tends to be the band leader, and it's live music in restaurants, like, all the time. And it was, I thought it was really cool. So, before 1910, social dance in America was dominated by steps such as the waltz and the polka. But as jazz started to pick up, the swing era moved in in the early 30s, and that's when big bands really took off. So... I think it's really cool. Um, I love Lucy. Desi Arnaz. He was a big band leader for the Copacabana. Oh. oh. Cool. So, stuff like that. Um, I just think it's cool. It's not anything we really see anymore. But I love the idea of being able to, like, go to... I, I watch White Christmas every year. One of my and, favorites. Like, you go to the restaurant and you just have this big band and, like, with performances or singers and dancers and not that the 50s is, like, a great time to be living, clearly. But, like, that aspect of it was very cool. I have to ask. Yeah. Did anybody else have a swing dance era? Like... Was that something that kind of happened in, like, your your high school or middle school years, or was that just me? I had a short infatuation with it, but I never actually learned. I- I'm just going to give you a clear no. <laughs> <laughs> it just got really popular with my, like, the people my age at one point. Like, we would just go out to swing dance places, and we would do where you would get to do a lesson, and then they would just open the floor afterwards. And I went to a number of swing dance parties, and it was so much fun. Sounds fun. I want that so much. Yeah, just look for it in your area. I bet they still do it. It was great as a middle schooler. I bet it would be even more fun as an adult who could have a couple drinks before. (laughs) (laughs) No, sorry. The Northeast is just too cool for you. It is. We don't don't swing dance. Midwest, we're lucky if we have a bar in our small towns. (laughs) But... Yeah, so Big Bands and The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. After that, we have Fashion with Jess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Making fashion choices, making fashion choices, making fashion choices with Jess. What an episode for fashion. Oh my gosh. Finally, we get like a good hunk of fashion in this episode. I want to touch on some of the side characters before we jump into, obviously, Lorelai and Rory's outfits are the piece de resistance. But I want to start with... Suki. We see Suki in a great outfit. She's got this dark navy long sleeve dress with florals on it and she has her hair done beautifully. She's kind of got the victory rolls. We know that Suki does her own hair so it looks incredible. And then we have Jackson and Suki makes a comment in the episode about how she likes Jackson's suit. Jackson is wearing a brown suit jacket with a spotted button top red trousers 
And then just like a paisley scarf thrown around his neck. He loses many of these external pieces throughout the dance marathon as one would. But when we first see him, he kind of looks like a Depression-era hobo to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just, it's a weird mix of pieces. I love that Suki's like, makes me want to ration sugar. It's cute. It's cute that she's into her husband. I am not into her husband's look this time. (laughs) That will always just be a weird statement to me. Yeah. (laughs) We discussed Kirk's outfit a little bit in last week's episode, Um, but Kirk, our reigning dance champion and, spoiler alert, dance champion this year, is wearing a long sleeve cream shirt with a big collar and his Dozy's vest. We guessed maybe that's the nicest vest he owns. (laughs) Maybe he's sponsored by Dozy's Market for this charity event. Either way, I don't know. He's repping the Dozies, which is a little bit silly. <laughs> and I also want to shout out a character who's kind of maybe a surprise. I thought Shane had one of the best items that we've seen so far this season, and that's her leather jacket. You get a good look at it when they're standing in Miss Patty's trailer or Miss Patty's whatever it is. It's this really great warm tone brown leather jacket with these cool tied cuffs. It's such like a cool, almost Lorelei style piece. And I kind of wonder how Shane ended up with it, but I love it. It's almost a steal for me. I don't think I could pull it off, but really great leather jacket. Well, it's not uncommon to see pieces reused, especially Mm -hmm. between like Lorelei and Rory. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if we see this jacket again, though. No, I don't think so. Like, this is this is a one-and-done piece, which it feels like it could be such a statement for somebody. Right? Yeah. But it's not. That's okay. Okay, let's jump into the big outfits, which is Rory and Lorelai. I'm going to start with Rory's outfit because I love it, but it's not my favorite of the two. I think... Overall, I really like Lorelai's look, but Rory is wearing this really sweet short sleeve, kind of puff sleeved polka dotted dress. It's buttoning down the front. She's got the perfect victory rolled hair. She's got these little black Mary Janes, like kind of clunky. She is adorable. This is what you picture when you think of like a 50s dance in your head. Mm -hmm. Rory is spot on. Looks gorgeous. Also, incredible makeup on both of them this episode. I watch a lot of Call the Midwife. Me too. Which is 50s and 60s Great Britain, uh, or London, East End. I could see this dress being on any character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Who was not pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And when we first see Rory and when we see her at the end, she has kind of a military-style long brown coat over it, which absolutely takes me to the DAR moment. Like, in my head when I see her in kind of, like, military-inspired. But it reminded me of how popular military-inspired fashion was kind of in this era. There was this weird period in the mid-2000s where it was really cool to have, like, a military coat or, like, military-inspired coats. And even, like, kind of, like, royal military-inspired, lots of buttons, lots of lapels, lots of flaps and things. I know that I desperately wanted one of those coats. It was one of those things Seventeen Magazine was like, all girls need to have a military jacket. I don't think I ever had one. (laughs) Jess in his green, like, it's a bomber jacket, right? Mm -hmm. 
like same kind of vibe. Yeah, his is his is a little bit more like military military. Hers is more mm-hmm. like retro military, which fits yes. the vibe. Super mm-hmm. cute. And then let's talk about Lorelai because spoiler alert, Lorelai is my best dressed. This is an incredible look on Lorelai. So Lorelai has a long blue and black layered lace dress. It's got a little sweetheart neckline and it's a halter. And the layering with the black and blue lace, it reminds me of, do you guys remember the blue and black, white and gold dress debate? (laughs) Yes. It's kind of giving me that. It is so cute. It fits her perfectly. And she also has the little victory rolls in her hair. She's stunning. She's styled perfectly, very simple necklace. And she, when they see her in the beginning, has a red long coat over it. And I think Mm -hmm. to me, with the red long coat over it, it's like the perfect look. And of course, we have, rest in peace, the vintage heels, which (laughs) I know that Luke fixes them, but once a heel has like popped off like that, they're never going to be quite the same. It's getting you through the night and that's about it. Yes. Yeah. So... I think that they both look stunning. I think they're styled perfectly. I wouldn't change really anything about either of them. And I do have a worse dressed. Ooh. Interesting. It's not Jackson? It's not Jackson. I dislike Jackson's. But this worse dressed is more of a outfit or, or costume that I'm most disappointed in. That's Miss Patty. Oh. Really? Interesting. I really feel like Miss Patty could have gone way more all out with this. I think we could have seen something more along the lines of what Babette is wearing, where it's more clearly retro. Um, Because Miss Patty is wearing a a long kind of silk Asian-inspired duster over black clothing. And she's got this funky little black top hat with a veil off to the side. But to me, the look is not 40s, 50s. The look is just kind of funky, and I really wish we'd seen her styled more 40s, 50s. I think it would have been so fun. I I see where you're coming from. I agree with that. I just, you guys know that I love Patty, and I love what she wears. And this was the first time that I really seen her and been like, what? No. Come on. You can do so much more with that. Honestly, the whole time, every time I saw her and that hat, I just got reminded of Parks and Rec. When uh, Ron is drunk with that little tiny hat, that's all I could remember. It like, to me, for some reason, it feels like New Year's Eve or something. Like, there's just something not quite on theme. And I feel like Miss Patty knows how to do a styled costume. And so this was a a bummer for me. Yeah, that was my fashion thoughts for the episode. Did I miss anything that either of you loved or hated? Well, we mentioned in the uh, last week's episode, Lorelai looked fantastic in that pink sweater yes, yes. the friday night um, dinner so I sweater just wanna, yeah throw that out again unreal and we have to mention the fact that taylor is not in a cardigan yes He's taylor in is in a pinstripe suit. suit and he looks great like he does yeah he looks not taylory almost <laughs> until he's like sleepy at the podium <laughs> at the beginning he just looks like a big powerful businessman or something he's ready to go be a mob boss yes stars hollow mob yeah and can you imagine <laughs> if patty had been up there in like a poodle skirt or something like and they had been oh vibing off each other 
I rest my case. (laughs) (laughs) But that was fashion. And up next, we have Stars Hollow Speaks. Okay. So for Stars Hollow Speak, let's start with stuff from last week. Last week, obviously, was Sherry's baby shower. And we got a message from Ash who said, absolutely love the preparation across religions in that convo with Taylor. Honestly, it was it's one of the best scenes. It's right? so good. I love them it's together. I want Rabbi. more. It's just not enough. We also got a message from Karen. Karen Co. Karen Co. 99. Yes. Why did Sherry want to hang out with Lorelai now after that original awkward kitchen convo? That's a good point. The last mm-hmm. time they kind of saw each other, uh, Sherry was like, we don't have to be friends. Yeah, she was weirdly pushy about it. And now she's like, oh. I think Sherry's just awkward and does not know <laughs> how to deal with people. I'll block my your car with my belly. Like, no, yeah. girl, chill out. <laughs> well, no, this is why. Because she wanted to thank Lorelai for Chris coming back a changed man. Because clearly the fact that Sherry's pregnant had nothing to do with it. (laughs) And uh, finally, we got a message from TK who says, I never know what to make of this Gilmore Girls episode, the um, Sherry's baby shower episode. It's got some fun stuff sprinkled with awkwardness and Lorelai's weird insistence on gender norms with such a smarmy voice, too. I'm not a fan of Sherry's attitude towards that either, but more from a why can't we let kids be free to make their own preferences kind of stance. Your kid could love green or blue or pink. She could want to do ballet or karate or chess. I say give her as many options as you can and see what sticks. It might not align with what you like, but it will still be amazing to see the person she chooses to become. I think that's a wonderful statement. I think all three of us mm-hmm. kind of believe that as yeah. well. You know, colors are just colors. Yeah. Like, honestly. As I was editing last episode's discussion and we, we were talking about, like, the color norms and gender norms and everything, I, it made me think about what I did with Charlie when she was born. Um, mm-hmm. She had a purple nursery, which, I mean, is a pretty standard girl color. Uh, but we also did a Star Wars theme, or a, specifically <laughs> a Princess Leia theme. Oh, that's cute. But we we do this with the intention of like, okay, this is what we like when she's a baby and obviously does not have her own opinions or cannot voice her own opinions yet. Um, We are now building a house and Charlie's 100% going to be picking the colors in her room and what the decoration she wants to look like within budget, obviously. Is it just going to be Um, half free guy, half sing? I hope so. (laughs) That would be amazing. My childhood bedroom was blue ceilings and pink walls. Nice. Mine was almost just perpetually some shade of purple. I just had a princess canopy bed when I was little. Ooh, that was I had that too. Oh my gosh, that was like the coolest thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> the the posters had like to hold the canopy in the very top of the post could come out. Oh. And so I we used it as microphones when we were singing. That's so oh, fun. It was perfect. <laughs> But yes, thank you, TK. Um, we completely agreed. And then for this week, we asked Jamie, how do you feel? And we heard from Lisa. She said, just as for Jamie, maybe up there with Dave. And then she also messages as well about this episode. She says, I adore this episode. The outfits, the dance marathon, Rory and Dean finally breaking up. Although that scene used to give me secondhand embarrassment. I get it. 
And finally, another Luke and Lorelai scene where they both are basically insinuating at a future together. Jackson's reaction to Suki was a little over the top. Of course, this is something she would discuss with her best friend. Suki's delivery of the verdict probably could have been better, though. And four and four is a lot. And then the absurdity of the last scene with Kirk running with his trophy to Eye of the Tiger, while Lorelai and Rory have a heartbroken but sweet mother-daughter moment. Near perfect. Side tangent, real-life dance marathons of the 30s sound kind of horrifying and like they share a a through line with the Hunger Games. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I've never been to a dance marathon. I've only ever been to a um, actual marathon, like like a uh, running marathon yeah Yeah. like uh 24 hours running and none of us did 24 hours of running do either of you think you could actually do a dance marathon a 24 hour one like this hell no No. i barely survived my 12 to 14 hour doubles when i was in my early 20s at restaurants yeah and that i got paid for (laughs) i danced for four hours at the wedding and spent an entire day in bed the next day so as you should have So we asked for your general thoughts on the episode, and we got a number of responses. Ink and Ivy said, I like this episode a lot. Cute town event, cute outfits, and finally the breakup that was needed. Yes. My gosh. I feel like that's been two seasons coming. Right. Talking Fast podcast, Hey Ladies, said, Oof, though I would also do some ridiculous things dancing for 24 hours. Agreed. Like we just said, none of us could make that no no nope. uh, hard pass iman said omg so excited to hear you guys talk about it i love that jess and rory finally become a thing but i also feel really bad for both dean and shane and both lorelei and rory look so pretty during the marathon yeah we kind of touched on it last episode But this is really an unfair situation for Shane, and it seems like it's going over her head, which is a bummer. I guess I'll go with the fact that Jess tells Luke at one point that he treats her like crap, she treats him like crap, so maybe neither of them are just really invested in the relationship, but just somebody to hang out with. Yeah. And make out with. 17 hour hang, though. Oh my god, yeah. That's commitment. (laughs) That is commitment. (laughs) You don't hang out with a boy you don't like like for that. Yeah. Thanks, Iman. And then Sarah said, I love Dean telling Rory off. Not the best time, but she treated him like dirt. Yeah. Yeah. I think regardless of which team you're on, I think everybody can agree that Rory treated Dean really poorly. And while we don't agree with the time and place, it was a long overdue breakup. Shout out to Sarah, by the way, who is supporting us. Yes, um, yeah, and thank you, you to Sarah. everyone who supports us. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is our Stars Hollow Speaks for this episode. And we're finishing up the episode with coffee. Okay, I kind of have to get your opinion on this because there was a thermos of coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And we did see both of them drink from it but we only see it for the one scene so although it's a whole big thermos of coffee i'm not going to count it as multiple cups of coffee i think that's fair i want it because they also don't have a whole lot of time before it starts by the time they get it so i'm thinking they have enough time to down like a cap 
and mm-hmm. then they have to give it back. You probably don't want to drink a bunch of coffee while you're trying to dance 24 hours, though, honestly. Fair, and you only have 10 minutes in the bathroom. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rory had one cup of coffee, that cup, and Lorelai had two cups of coffee because she was at Luke's in the beginning of the episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she has one up on Rory. That's about right, though. Mm-hmm. It seems yeah. to be the standard. Yeah. But... Yeah, that was the dance marathon episode. And it kind of continues next week. We get the fallout from multiple things. Yes. And uh, a relationship starts next and week. And some kind of awkward scenes with that relationship starting. <laughs> but as always, I was Sandra. And I was Emily. And I was Jess. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. This is Town Meeting, a Gilmore Girls Rewatch podcast with Sandra, Jess, and Emily. And you can follow us on Instagram at townmeetingpod and email us at townmeetingpod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on Spotify and support us at buymeacoffee.com slash townmeeting. If you like, send us a message on our answering machine at anchor.fm slash townmeetingpod and click message. Thank you again. We appreciate all of you. 